Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. Our text today is 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, a very short verse. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. If you look at, if you do some research and find the top 10 songs of the 20th century, half of them are about love, love either won or lost. You've got that loving feeling, never my love yesterday, can't take my eyes off of you, baby I need your loving. In 2012, the Muppets and CeeLo Green performed a Christmas song called All I Need Is Love, complete with a music video in true Muppets form. It's full of action and humor, and everybody shows up, Kermit, Fozzie, Miss Piggy. There's plenty of bling. CeeLo and the crew sing about all the Christmas presents they could get, fancy toys, and the latest technology, but perhaps ironically, at at its core, the song captures the true message of Christmas. The Muppets and CeeLo don't want all that, don't don't want any of that stuff. All they want or need for Christmas is love. Now, I'm quite sure the Muppets never set out to make any grand theological statement with their Christmas song, but the song taps into the truth that all we need is love. Of course, they're thinking of the love of other people. We know above all, we need God's love. Today, as we celebrate together the second Sunday on our Advent journey of God with us, we are celebrating love. When Jesus came into our world as a baby, he was the human embodiment of the gift of God's love. When he came as Emmanuel, God with us, he came as God incarnate. He came as love incarnate. If you recall from last week, the word Advent means coming or arrival. And the season is marked by expectation, waiting, anticipation, and longing. Advent is not just an extension of Christmas. It's a season that links the past, present, and the future. Advent offers us the opportunity to share in this ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah, to celebrate his birth, and to be alert for his second coming. Advent looks back in celebration at the hope fulfilled in Christ's coming while at the same time looking forward in hopeful and eager anticipation to the coming of his kingdom when he returns for his people. During Advent, we wait for both. It's an active, assured, and hopeful waiting. Each week, we focus on a different attribute of God represented in the coming of Jesus, hope, love, joy, and peace. We talked about hope last week, so this week we talk about love, and we've already begun today talking about a love song. Let's now talk about a love story. 
And our culture is full of both, not just in our present culture, but really the entire history of humanity. Can you imagine the power you would have if you could harness all the creative energy that has been devoted to writing love stories and love songs throughout history? If you start with the songs and movies and stories we know in our time and start scrolling back through history, through the novels and poems and plays and epics and oral narratives, the list would go on and on and on. It seems that throughout our entire history, we humans have been inspired and moved and confused and intrigued and motivated by love and trying to understand it. Maybe that says something about us. Maybe there is a reflection there uh, of our origins and of our creator and our deepest longings. God's love is woven, woven through our very creation and existence and being. But have you ever thought about the story of Mary and Joseph as a love story? <clears throat> I mean, sure, you know the Christmas story. You probably heard it many, many times before. But think about it. Mary and Joseph, a love story. Imagine with me and place yourself back in the ancient dusty days of Israel under the Roman Empire, in a small village called Nazareth, there lives a carpenter named Joseph. He has noble ancestry. He descends from King David himself. But he lives a humble life working with his hands as a tradesman. He probably learned to build things from his father, who was probably a carpenter before him. Some scholars think Joseph grew up in Bethlehem, but at some point moved to Nazareth, about 70 miles north as a crow flies. <clears throat> Maybe this was so he could build his own carpentry business. Maybe he had relatives there. Maybe the town needed a, a good carpenter. We don't know for sure. But we can speculate that Joseph had probably been working long enough to establish himself as an honorable and fairly successful craftsman. That would have made him an eligible bachelor, probably around 20 years old, who was ready to marry and establish his own family. The younger girls of the village, and more likely their fathers, would have noticed. You have to remember the Jewish marriage customs of the day were quite different from ours. They followed clearly defined legal guidelines and took place in three stages, the contract, the consummation, and the celebration. First, Mary's father would have gone to Joseph to propose and arrange the marriage. A cash price like a dowry would be set so that Joseph would pay to Mary's family, maybe along with some gifts and a contract called a ketubah would be signed. At that point, Joseph and Mary were married 100%. He was her husband. She was his wife. Then the couple would get to know one another, more like the dating stage we're used to, minus a dinner and a movie outings. 
Mary would still live with her family, and at some point in the future, maybe a year, maybe years, depending on the bride's age or other factors, and with no notice, the, Joseph's father would tell him to go get his bride, sometimes even in the middle of the night. And they would, and Joseph would gather his friends and, and, and lead a procession to Mary's house. Can you imagine the commotion and the excitement? And there she would be waiting with a group of her friends. This would be a surprise. No one but the groom's father knew when the time would come. Notice how closely this tradition matches what Jesus told us about his return. Joseph would arrive at Mary's house. Then while everyone waited in the house, the couple would consummate their marriage. This stage of the marriage was called the chuppa. And everyone after that would get together and have a marriage feast to celebrate the final stage of the process. Very different from what we're used to. And probably sounds quite awkward to most of us today. You're also probably thinking, how unromantic. Maybe it was, but not so fast. Just because the culture and traditions of those ancient days look different doesn't mean that there was a deep love flowing between this historic couple and possibly even romance. Use your imaginations with me. The Bible doesn't fill in all these details, but maybe Mary and Joseph's story went a little like this. Mary was certainly younger than Joseph. Tradition suggests she was probably a young teenager in that day of marriageable age. Marriageable age and and the options and opportunities in her life's path would have depended greatly on her marriage and family life. She would have known who Joseph was, still fairly young, rugged, and strong. Certainly his forearms would be chiseled and his hands rough from having the little bits were told about in the Bible. He must have been even-keeled, confident, and kind. Father, do you know Joseph the carpenter? Mary might have hinted to her father. That Joseph is a good man, kind and honorable. He would make a good husband for our Mary. Mary's mother could have suggested to her husband. For his part, Joseph would have known the young girls of the village. Their fathers were his customers. He would have built furniture for their homes. He would have crafted yokes and plows and shovels. Uh, for their farms or wheels for their carts. He listened as they talked about their families. He knew who was kind and fair in business and in family and social life. And maybe, just maybe, there were several local girls or families with their eye on Joseph as marriage material. Human hearts and emotions have been the same throughout history, no matter how formal or different the social mores and relational customs. Have you seen Mary? Joseph might have said to a friend. Her, ours, her, her eyes sparkle like the sun on the Sea of Galilee. I saw Joseph laughing with the little children watching, walking outside his workshop. Mary could have said to a sister, the sound of his voice was musical. And eventually this couple was married. 
bound to each other for life, with their hearts stirring and their future uncertain. Like the rest of us, they could have no way of knowing what they truly face together in the journey of husband and wife, but excitement must have filled them as the formalities were signed and nervousness. What are we getting into? And who exactly is this person I'll spend the rest of my life with? Joseph probably carved small wooden gifts for his new wife, maybe a flower to reflect her beauty or a bird because its grace reminds me of you, or perhaps a small box with a valuable metal clasp where she could store small treasures or things near to her heart. Mary might have liked to watch Joseph work, work shaping and creating his workshop where they could talk and laugh and share moments together. She might have baked and brought him special breads or cakes that she knew were his favorites. And he certainly would have joined Mary's family for meals and celebrations and religious festivals, sharing life with them and all of its daily twists and turns. And with each day that passes, young couple learn more about each other, what made each other laugh, how they handled challenges and hard days, the strengths of their personalities as shown in the imperfections where they failed, their hopes and fears and dreams for the future, how many children they hoped to have one day, what kind of home Joseph could one day build for his wife and family, how they longed for the day to come when the time was right to consummate their marriage. Each day that passed, Mary and Joseph chose love, and that love continued to deepen and grow. So imagine the emotional bombshell that went off. When Joseph heard the news that Mary was pregnant, how could you, Mary? How could you do this to me, to us, I thought you loved me. We were doing this the right way, honoring God and our families and each other. And now, now this? The pain was deep. The wound felt physical, like his chest had been literally blown wide open. This was the broken trust Joseph would have felt when Mary came home and told him the news. Joseph, I know this sounds crazy, but an angel visited me and told me I'm going to have a baby. And the angels say his name will be Jesus and he'll be great and be called the Son of the Most High. He's the Messiah, Joseph. You have to believe me. It's a miracle. It's true because, because I'm pregnant. Maybe he tried to listen to those first words. An angel, miracle, the Messiah. But all he must have felt was the weight of the word pregnant. Everybody knows there's only one way to get pregnant. And Joseph knew he had not been involved. Everyone would have known he had not been involved unless he dishonored Mary and her family and all he held to be true. And if he had, then he too would have been disgraced to their society. This is 
too much for Joseph. Maybe he walked away in silence, broken and speechless. Maybe he shouted and stormed and sent Mary away in tears. I think it's probably, from what we get from his personality in Scripture, more likely that he walked away in silence. We know things did not go smoothly. And maybe this is part of why Mary went to spend three months with her Aunt Elizabeth. Away from her own village in the hill country of Judea, it would buy time for Mary's family to figure out what to do. How would people ever believe this story from Mary? Could they even, could they even believe it? And maybe it would give Joseph time to accept it. So the lovers parted with pain and anger and distrust swirling in and around them. And young Mary was clinging desperately to the encouraging words of an angel and a knowledge deep in her soul that for whatever reason, no matter how incredulous it sounded and how miraculous it was, God's very son had sprung to life within her. Somehow God would make a way. Isn't that, just, isn't that just the kind of crisis that threatens to destroy any good love story? Now, the exact circumstances are different from what you and I will ever face, but the feelings and emotions and relationship challenges are no different at their core. Mary and Joseph's is a true human love story. But it's also a supernatural love story that involves you and me and every human who has walked or will ever walk the earth. Let's dig deeper at this point and see how it affects you and me and how we can experience this supernatural love for God, love of God with us through the Advent season and beyond. If we were watching a movie of, of Mary and Joseph's love story, this is where we would pan back, drifting out of that drab and dusty Galilean village, seeing a wider and wider vision above the ancient landscape and the geographic forms we recognize as continents and oceans, and farther above the great blue ball of earth, and still farther beyond the solar system and Milky Way galaxy, and somehow wider still through the limits of the universe and space and light and time themselves, until finally somewhere beyond the limits of physics that bind our creation, there is only a presence, a supernatural infinite presence that is love. There is only God. Somehow over and within all things present and moving within all time, including the entire history of humanity, that appears as only a tiny blip. The Apostle Paul said it most simply and best in 1 John 4.16. So we have come to know and to believe that God has for us I'm sorry, I, I misread that. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. This is the nature of our God, 
love in its purest form. Love was there at the center of God's creative forces that made the universe and formed people in his image to be in relationship with him. Love was there when the world fell into sin and rebellion. And despite the catastrophic consequences of humanity's fall, love was there in shepherding Adam and Eve and their family into this altered world. Even then, love was making a way to restore all that had been lost. Love forged a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Love continually led the Israelites through relocation and and resettlement, through triumph and imprisonment and exile. As we trace throughout the Old Testament, love guided and corrected and exhorted and showed mercy to the ever disobedient and easily distracted Israelites. In Mary and Joseph's story, love was taking the form of humanity in the Messiah Jesus. Love is God with us. And love will be with Mary and Joseph to care for them and provide everything they would need. The test of any good love story is this. Is love enough? Is this love strong enough or deep enough or true enough to handle X, Y, or Z? from the trivial to an annoying to the catastrophic and potentially crushing. Yes, my friends, love is enough. God is enough. And his love is faithful. Mary's journey to her cousin Elizabeth's house couldn't have been easy. The walk would have been long and hot. The road must have been lonely and the miles must have echoed in her brain with the recent conversations, the pain and hurt in Joseph's eyes and words, the disbelief and confusion from her family, family, and always the hope and promise delivered by the angel. She knew the truth. But nobody believed her. How would everyone else see What was going to happen to her? But as soon as Mary arrived, she was greeted with love. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. Elizabeth exclaimed. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears? The baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is he who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. That's from Luke chapter 1, verses 42 through 45. Can you imagine the relief? Immediately, Elizabeth, who was carrying her own miracle child, remember, Elizabeth was quite old, far beyond childbearing years. And God said, you're going to have a baby. And in fact, she was pregnant. And Elizabeth knew and confirmed to Mary that love was here, that God was here, that everything was going to be all right.
I'm sure Mary reacted with tears. Just that soft comfort. The outpouring of God's grace. You're going through terrible times and you don't know where the light is. Where the, you, you, you can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. All is darkness. You don't know what's going on. You feel lost. You feel helpless. Mary's response was overwhelming. She said, maybe, maybe saying. Later on in the same chapter of Luke, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. In the midst of Mary's human crisis, God provided just the love she needed through another person who understood and supported her, that's often the way God love, God's love works. As we walk in His love, that's interesting. Sorry. As we walk in His love, He knows just what we need. And he brings us support from other people around us. On the flip side, he often uses us to provide that love and support for others. In Joseph's case, he, his needs were a little different. Back in Nazareth, in his pain and confusion, Joseph decided he was going to divorce Mary. The pain was too much. He couldn't believe this was happening. And while legally he could have taken Mary to the courts and had her tried and potentially stoned to death, he still loved her. He couldn't do that, but he couldn't handle this breach of trust. And the law allowed him to divorce her quietly and not try to make a public disgrace of her. That's when... In this supernatural love story, God knew that Joseph needed some supernatural love. So Joseph, too, got a visit from an angel with this message. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Notice how God knew exactly what was the heart of Joseph's hurt, fear. And God gave Joseph the reassurance he needed to trust Mary and her love and ultimately to trust God and his love to make a way in their amazing, unbelievable, dangerous, supernatural, and ultimately triumphant love story that was looking like nothing either one of them could have ever imagined. Joseph chose love and trust, even though the law told him to, he could do otherwise. And it's a beautiful reflection of God's own choice to love and foster a relationship with us. Even though our sins means death and separation from the holy, perfect God in his nature 
of pure love, he chose us. Even at the terrible price of his son's life, John 3.16 tells us that it was because of love that God sent Jesus to earth to give his life for us. The love of God with us is God's perfect love in human form that we celebrate. And this is the love that knows exactly what we need, no matter what we are facing in this season, whether it's support for, from or restoration to another person, or whether it's an encounter with the God of the miraculous that you need. God's love is with us. It is here for you. And it's making a way to accomplish God's work in your life. As mind-blowing as it is, God's love is eternal. It's as never-ending as God himself. It was, it is now, it will be. He will never stop demonstrating his love to, in intangible ways that are both daily occurrences and history-changing events like Christ's birth. Eventually, all things we know will come to an end at some point. The good, the bad, and life itself. But as Andrew Peterson sings in, in the song, After the Last Tear Falls, he said this, And in the end, the end is oceans and oceans of love and love again. Then we'll find that all of our tears have been caught in the hand of the giver of love. This is the love that God is with us. This is the love that lived out before us and he will hold us forever and ever and ever. Just as the hopeful words of Paul in Romans chapter 8 verses 38 and 39 remind us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like any true God-written love story, Mary and Joseph's love didn't end with themselves. It was built upon the foundation of God's perfect supernatural love and they trusted God and followed him on a crazy ride unlike anyone else in history and when they opened their hearts to God's love he allowed it to flow right through them as a small current in an overwhelming ocean and this is the same one that sweeps us up Mary and Joseph were in it together the long journey to Bethlehem, the seemingly desperate night with Mary about to give birth and no place to even rest, the birth and first cry of the Messiah held in their arms in a stable, and then the joy of the others, the shepherd, the exotic wise men, Simon and Anna, the prophets in the temple who recognized their Savior in this tiny baby the angelic visits and warnings to flee to another country to protect their child and then to return. Oh, the, in, the inside knowledge Mary and Joseph shared. 
the conversations they must have had and the questions they must have discussed. Why us? That must have been always at the top of their list. But from the beginning, they recognized that Jesus, their son, was so much more. His life existed for us all. He was God with us. His love was offered to the world. And with this knowledge, they, they chose to, to live with open hands, trusting in and living out the miraculous love that had been given to them. In this Advent season, we have the opportunity to reflect on how we can do the same. Jesus taught, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The ability to do so begins as we open ourselves to God's love. And then it, it then grows and overflows as we extend kindness and care and support to others around us. Sometimes it takes a small step. Sometimes it requires a bigger leap. Sometimes it's an ongoing process of choosing to love the unlovable over and over again. It, but it's God's love. It's an eternal, vast, and powerful love, yet at the same time, gentle, tender, and personal love. And it is love that will make a way no matter what we are facing in this season or in the days ahead. I close out today with Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with to the measure of all the fullness of God. May it be so in your life. Let's stand. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.